0: Hi everyone, my name is Margarita Lyadova and I'm the host of the We the Women Speaker Series. This week I have the privilege of interviewing the amazing Morgan Rahm. Morgan is an incredibly multifaceted woman and I'm excited to discuss her story today. Some of you may already know Morgan since she runs a viral Instagram account at Too Much Food. Not only is she a social media guru, but she is also known for founding a pro Israel group on the most notorious campus for having an anti Israel sentiment. So now I'd like to give the floor to Morgan by asking her the first question, which I ask every speaker. Tell us about yourself. What is it that you do? How did you get there? We wanna know all the details.
1: Okay, can you hear me? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I started my food Instagram when I was still in high school. So I was a junior and I think that was in like 2014. And that was right about when Instagram was really taking off and food Instagrams were becoming a thing right around then. And before that, it was, you know, just personal accounts. And I think I started mine right around the same time that New Fork City started theirs. And they're one of the largest New York food Instagrams and I kind of did it just for fun. I didn't love food back then. I was super picky and I'm still kind of picky, but back then it was more just about photography for me and taking, you know, beautiful aesthetic photos. I was just using my iPhone and I just put them all into one place for fun. I saw that people were getting reposted. I wanted the clout. So, I worked trying to get reposted, and I didn't really take it seriously or consider myself a food Instagrammer until college, and more so my sophomore year of college. And so, I guess I was 2016, 2017. And already by that point, food Instagrams were a big thing, and they were very, they had a lot of followers. And I only had around 5,000 by the time I started taking it seriously. And when that happened, I started getting invited to events and um, not so much getting paid yet, that came a little bit later, but I definitely started to, I was into it for the food by that point. I really liked eating and trying new things and I loved going to the events. They're super weird and fun. There are just you know twenty people and they're all taking photos at, at the same time of the same food. It was hilarious to me, and I really loved it. So tell me, are
0: these are food events dedicated to influencers who want
1: to share food? Yeah, it's usually just food influencers. Though sometimes they the restaurants or the PR firms, whoever's hosting the event, sometimes they invite fashion influencers, and I kind of hate those because because it's the, it's a contrast of the food Instagrammers trying to take photos of the food and the fashion bloggers holding the food Mm -hmm. in front of them. And we can't get to the food at that point. Um, So it's kind of distracting and annoying, but (laughs) it's definitely interesting to see how their work goes too. But yeah, the food events, usually it's just a bunch of food Instagrammers and we all, it depends on the event. They're all formatted very differently. Some of them they'll bring out a ton of different dishes of the same dish, but some of them they'll only bring out one plate and that's definitely less enjoyable experience because we're all kind of crowding the dish, but yeah, it depends. So tell me this, where
0: did you go to school and how did the story go where you got involved with the pro-Israel
1: work? So that kind of happened around the same time, to be honest, because So I started out at NYU. I I spent my freshman year there and NYU has a very crazy food scene because it's, you know, downtown and I never ate at the dining halls. I mean, I ate more so in them when I was a freshman because I had so many meal points. But I mean, I just remember eating at Bluestone Lane, which is this Australian coffee shop. I was eating there all of the time. And my food Instagram feed at that point was just avocado toast, like nine photos of avocado toast and maybe one of pasta. So <laughs> um, then I transferred to Columbia, which, which is just uptown in New York City. And so I got to 5,000 followers. And at NYU, I, I also helped found Realize Israel, which is a pro-Israel group. There and I think they really only have one chapter in the United States. At Columbia I helped found Students Supporting Israel which is part of a larger organization. Um, They have SSI National and so our chapter at Columbia University was founded right about when I got to Columbia. So I was part of the first board there and so that was definitely all happening at the same time. I had 5,000 followers when I first joined SSI. And by the time I was done with it, I had 100,000. So it all I grew at the same time that SSI did, which was really fun. And I was learning a lot about Israeli food and Israel itself at the same time that I was learning about food and learning how to grow my own Instagram. And how did your love
0: for Israel translate into the work you do? Or did it translate at all?
1: I would say it started translating later in my college career, like that middle, maybe of junior year and senior year, um, because I only started caring about Israel when I got to college. Before that, it was a part of my life because my mom was born in Tel Aviv and my, a lot of my family still lives there now. And my softa lives in Long Island, but she's very Israeli, heavy accent, um, loves Israeli food, has always cooked for us growing up. And while I was growing up, that was really my only exposure to Israel and to the Israeli culture was through my grandma. Because my mom isn't religious and she's not very cultural either. You know, she doesn't speak Hebrew at home. We just, we don't celebrate the holidays for the most part. But every single time I would go to my softest house, which was a lot growing up almost every weekend, we would stop there on our way to Long Island. And she would always cook for us. So my exposure to Israel was like, I love my Softa. I love her food. So I love Israel. (laughs) And when I got to college, I realized it was super complex. And it wasn't that simple, obviously. And um, once I started learning more about Israeli food and Israeli culture and how it relates to Judaism, I definitely started caring more about it. And I find myself very dedicated to the cause. And I absolutely love the story of Israel, of modern Israel and the Jewish people. And as I started to care more for that story, it just came naturally that um, my food Instagram reflected some of that and you know i started posting more about israeli food because i love it and because also it's important to me to promote israeli restaurants for example in new york city or when i go to israel to to promote the culture there and the food that they eat so it just kind of happened naturally and i love being jewish and integrating that side
2: of my personality into my instagram Well, definitely at school there were a lot of
1: challenges, um, especially given that I'm extremely outspoken. I would write op-eds, for example, in our in the Columbia Spectator, which is the school newspaper, and I was constantly going to events, my our my own clubs' events, SSI, as well as anti-Israel events. I would show up to so many of them. A lot of them, I would join my co-founding members and board members in protests. We would hold up signs. Um, So basically everyone that had any involvement in Israeli-Palestinian discourse at school knew who I was and either really liked me or hated me. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was definitely a challenge and one that I don't regret. I absolutely loved what I did there, and I kind of liked being notorious. It was pretty fun. Um, But yeah, it definitely came with its challenges. I did not, it was kind of scary, for example, to go to anti-Israel events, because the speakers a lot of the time are super anti-Semitic, and they're not apologetic about it. They're just very, they'll say things like, Arabs, can't be anti-Semitic because they are Semites. And one of the Columbia professors said that, and that was very scary because obviously the definition of anti-Semitism is about Jews. It was created specifically to talk about anti-Jewish bigotry. So that kind of erasure of and that ability to make it easier to be bigoted against Jewish people by saying, oh, I mean, we can't be, we can't be anti-Semitic because we're Semites. And that came from a Columbia professor. It's very scary and it's not easy, I would say, to talk about your views as a pro-Israel student at Columbia in class or in the school newspaper. I once had a professor email me right after our class had ended And it wasn't an outright threat, but it was kind of like, we should talk because I vehemently disagree with everything you're saying. And if we do talk, it has to be a hundred percent confidential and you're not allowed to speak about it to anybody else. I got an email like that from my professor and in class, it didn't even seem like he was anti-Israel. So that was good. But like emailing me outside of that was extremely unprofessional and scary. And I was just glad that It had happened at the end of the semester when I had already been graded because I had, I don't even understand. It was, I was just like, how do you even not remember my name? And he sent me a follow-up email apologizing for not recognizing my
2: name. So I was just glad that was, that happened after the fact. Yeah, okay. So, this has been happening since I started posting more about
1: Israeli food. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me get some of the comments. They're really fun. (laughs) Okay, so, when I went to Israel for the first time, which was in January 2018, I went on birthright, I don't remember if I got pushback. Mm -hmm. I think maybe a couple comments. And then when I went back in August of 2018, and I was really posting a lot about Israeli food and about my experience, I was storying a lot. I was getting a lot of hate um, at that point. People just saying, have fun eating your way through apartheid and hashtag unfollowed. People would send me DMs saying they were unfollowing me because I support oppression of the Palestinian people simply by posting a photo there or by using the hashtag Israeli food, somehow I'm erasing everything else. And that's like whitewashing. And it was kind of just like, do people get this kind of pushback when they go to countries like China or Russia? I don't think so. I have never seen it, but you know, every single time I was posting about Israeli food, people were sending me DM hatred or commenting on my photos. And it still happens to this day. So I posted, a recipe of hummus literally one week ago and all of these people came out and commented hummus is not israeli it existed way before uh and another one said um yeah israeli food and this happened a week before that when i posted a picture of pancakes and i hashtagged it israel food not even israeli so i also fight back to like I will respond to people.
0: <laughs> well, what I, is something spicy that you have
1: said to the haters? <laughs> um, okay. Well, for the person who said hummus is not Israeli, it existed way before. I just responded: Israel has exist. Israel has existed for thousands of years. The exact time and location of the invention of hummus is currently unknown. So it's very possible it's originally a Jewish invention. But if you know better than the experts, then by all means, keep trolling. And we had a long conversation based on that exchange. And in the end, I said, your beliefs are rooted in anti-Semitism because you're trying to erase Jewish culture and Jewish history. And she said, I can't be anti-Semitic because I am Arab and I'm a Semite. And I was like. Oh, so she used that same argument. So it seems like that that rhetoric
2: spreads well. Yeah. you make Thank you <laughs> so yeah, I, work- I made flyers <laughs> for them for three years
1: so <laughs>
0: right and they look fantastic because you're really good at what you do where did you pick up all of the skills for doing the marketing work for running your own social account and making it aesthetically pleasing obviously you're a photographer so you have some experience in how to take the pictures but running a very successful instagram is work
1: yeah um well, I learned a lot about, I don't know if you would call it graphic design, but like making flyers and that kind of thing. I learned that starting from when PicMonkey was a thing. That's what it's called, right? Or pic- Picnic. hmm yeah. Picnic. <laughs> I don't know, one of those things. And that was in middle, end of middle school, high school. I was, I've always been editing photos and making collages And then I started using Canva in college. It's super easy to make flyers using that. And I did it for three years because I did all the social media for SSI and for a bunch of other groups on campus. And so it just came with the experience. And I had, I love doing it. Um, And I mean, I still do that to this day. I still create flyers for things that I'm involved in. So that just came. With, I mean, I've taken art school since I was in kindergarten, um, and it just allowed me to have a
2: perspective on art. I think that yes. was more trained. Yeah. Well, the right... Okay, so I graduated college in May
1: 2019, so almost exactly one year ago to this day. (laughs) And I didn't know whether I wanted to write about food. Originally, I was just applying to marketing and social media jobs in the restaurant PR space. Um, I had done an internship at a PR firm for social media the summer before, and I was the marketing assistant at Yelp, New York City, and Brooklyn for, I think, a year, maybe a little bit more than a year, so I did all of their social media and marketing, and that's what I really thought that I was going to do, and then I realized how much I love writing. Um, I mean, my major in school was political science and Jewish studies, so I was writing all of the time for my major, but also I was writing op-eds. I think I wrote four or five of them in the last two years of college, which is not a lot, but I wasn't a columnist on any newspapers. So I realized how much I loved doing that. And I just decided to apply for this job at People. And once I started there, I realized how much I love writing and I think that I'm good at it. So it's been (laughs) not so hard for me. I love doing it. I love doing the research. Whenever there was an article um, that required research, for example, I wrote one about Lizzo and her lawsuit with Postmates, and I I volunteered for that one after someone had already claimed it. I said, I really want to write this. Please let me, because I wanted to do research, and I wanted to to highlight things, and I've just always loved doing that kind of thing in, in school and now outside of school, so writing has been really fun for me and I'm not there right now because I was laid off from the coronavirus, but I know that I want to keep doing this at least for the time being. So yeah, it's been really fun. Okay. So what happened with Lizzo and Postmates? Well, okay. She tweeted something that was like, Oh, she tweeted that her Postmate stole her food and she tweeted (laughs) their photo on Twitter and millions of people saw it. And the Postmate. Said it was uh, slander, I guess, or libel. I guess the written one is libel. <laughs> and she said she was getting death threats because Lizzo fans were coming after her for falsely death- defaming her and saying she stole her food and she didn't feel comfortable at her job anymore. And
2: then, so she sued Lizzo from Postmates. Um, it's happened a couple times more so I
1: was at a restaurant once. This was so funny because I was on a date when this happened. It was like one of my first dates with this guy. And we went to a restaurant near Columbia, but a little bit above. And we sat down and they started giving us free food. They just started like things that we hadn't ordered, and we were both like, what is this? And they said, You're that food blogger, right? And I was so embarrassed, but also extremely proud. And I was like, wow, I can't believe this is happening to me on a date. But that doesn't happen as much. What
0: did your date say when they were like, you're the food blogger?
1: He was really impressed. I think he storied about it on his Instagram. And so I was like, wow, I look incredible right now.
0: Is there a second date? (laughs) What? Was there a second
1: date? Yeah. It was okay.
0: So I want to pivot a little to talk about your creativity. To someone like me, who doesn't run social media, I think about it as just like a food Instagram. You post food. But you have found ways to reinvent yourself and post different things in a creative way. I see that your particular account blends not only pictures of food, but also pictures of yourself, Sometimes scenery, for example. So what is it that you do to keep yourself creative or think of new ideas for your Instagram?
1: Well, I would say my Instagram is mostly food with some photos of me. And then my stories, I try to do more of a a story about me and my life. Like I'm not as picky about what I story. So I I I think that it's important to have a voice and a personality as a food Instagrammer because there are so many of them and I want to stand out and be recognized for myself and not just my food recommendations, especially because with the algorithm and since there are so many Instagram accounts, it's very easy to unfollow people on Instagram, but if they have a connection with the account, they feel less inclined to do so. So I don't want people to unfollow me, even though a hundred people unfollow me every single day. <laughs> like I don't want it to be so easy. So that's why I've kind of tried to put more of myself into it. And people actually I would say like me, which is pretty funny because <laughs> I wouldn't say I have the most sophisticated palette or the best recommendations, but people seem to like my recommendations and I've kind of formed a connection with my followers. So for example, they prefer savory food over sweet food, which is what I also prefer. And I've noticed that because my pasta photos get thousands and thousands of likes. And sometimes I'll post something of ice cream and it'll get 600 likes. So I know what my followers like and it's very similar to what I do. And also, I have tried cooking and I'm very bad at it but people have been responding super well to my cooking fails and what I remember at the beginning of quarantine I asked my followers in a story what kind of content do you want to see and so many people were like we want to see you fail at cooking <laughs> which is like so funny and
2: kind of them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I honestly hate Instagram right now because of the algorithm. (laughs) My
1: friends are laughing at me. (laughs) Um, I mean, most people that follow me don't see my content because of the algorithm. I would say 10% of my followers see my content. And even if a post does extremely well, like I had one photo get 17,000 likes, I think two months ago. And that's my most ever but only, I think, 15,000 of my followers saw it in their newsfeeds. So it's, it's definitely discouraging for me, for me to work so hard on something that so few people see, which is why I'm really starting to prefer TikTok. Um, I don't even know if they have, I don't think they have the kind of algorithm Instagram has, at least yet, Um I don't even really go into my, the people I follow. I just scroll on the, the For You page. And so I think a lot of people do that. And so when I tag my photos with For You page or other hashtags, it's very likely to show up in random people's feeds. So it's easy for my content to be seen by people who don't even follow me. And honestly, that's, I think, the goal right now. Um, I, don't, I don't know really how the following page works so much, which but for TikTok, you just go viral for random things, I've noticed. I mean, most of my content doesn't do extremely well, but compared to Instagram, it does. And when something does go really viral, it's crazy. Like, I have three videos that have over a million views and two of them have four to five million. It's weird. And those two videos that I just talked about have almost a million likes in, on each one. So, I mean, no one's ever seen, not, nothing I've ever posted on Instagram has reached that many people.
0: I mean, yeah, I can imagine. That's a great conversion rate from views to likes. That's incredible. And, okay, let's imagine I'm somebody who wants to become a food Instagrammer or a food influencer. What would you recommend to somebody that wants to do what you do and create a following what advice would you have
1: i would say the most important thing is just putting yourself out there and trying to get the job or trying to start the account because in the end you don't have to be an expert i'm no expert i seriously am not (laughs) it's embarrassing um and it didn't matter when i was applying to my job because i had a passion for what i was doing And I remember during my interview, my, the guy who became my boss had said something along the lines of, we really like you because we know that you care about people food and you're not just trying to work at people. And a lot of people that were applying to the job just wanted to write at the magazine. And so I had, you know, my portfolio from my Instagram and it showed that I was interested in it. And that was the most important thing. And so I don't think you need to be an expert. I think you just need to apply to the jobs and show that you have a passion for either food photography or food writing or I mean, I'm sure this applies to everything. It's most important that you show that you actually care about what you want to do. And I feel
0: like more than ever people are tuning into social media and I see people who never tried to be in the limelight before really working on their brand and social media presence. But what you're saying is really interesting because for food, it's a little bit different where it sounds like you prove yourself in your passion and that almost feels unusual these days. So before we turn over to the audience Q and A, I want to ask you two more questions. The first one is how has being Jewish affected your work outside of the pro Israel advocacy work outside of SSI? How has being Jewish affected the work that you do with food?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say it, <laughs> my friend just told me what to say. <laughs> um, it's I, it, I agree with her. It does steer me towards Jewish and Israeli restaurants and it makes me seek out, um, you know, Israeli chefs, Jewish chefs. Um, I'm part of, uh, promoting the Jewish, the I think it's called the Jewish food, the Great Big Jewish Food Festival. And that's happening this week and next week. So I was involved in promoting that and I, I made the hummus dish for that festival. Um, and it's introduced me to a lot of really great people through that work um, that I didn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily have met beforehand. Um, you know, when I was applying to jobs, I reached out to some people on LinkedIn who had gone to Barnard and were working in the Jewish food space. And now I've been connected with them and we stay in touch and they keep me updated on new things that I can help them with. So it's been really fun meeting people that I otherwise wouldn't have. And I mean, because of this, I met you. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it definitely creates a sense of community that doesn't necessarily exist anywhere else. No, it's very special in that regard. And it's awesome that despite the pushback that you receive, you still share something that's focal to your identity.
1: Yeah, it's really important to me. And it's way more important to me than a couple of followers who may not agree with me and unfollow me or comment hate on my photo. Honestly, it fuels me and it makes me want to work even harder and promote it even more because it's important to my identity and If it angers people, I feel like I'm doing something right.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And with that, I want to move on to the last question, which I ask every speaker. And that is, what advice would you give to women specifically dealing with the world as it is today?
1: As related to my field or just in general? Anything that you would like to share. Um, well, one thing that I've definitely learned while working in my, at my job at people is you just need to put yourself out there and sign up for things, you know, talk to your bosses and say, I want this kind of responsibility. I want to do this. I want to do that. And don't be shy. For example, what I was talking about with the Lizzo article. Someone else had already claimed that article and I wanted to do it. So I wrote in our chat, I would like to do this article if that's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you know, just making sure that I'm heard and being an outspoken voice at work, it allowed me to have more responsibility than I think I would have had before. Is there any piece of writing that you're super
0: proud of where you really felt like a writer? And if so, what is it and where can we
1: read it? Um, Well, when I was at People, my favorite, thing that I wrote was definitely one of my last articles and I cooked those fluffy Japanese souffle pancakes that are supposed to you know be this thick and mine were like literal (laughs) yolk egg patties that were super flat like I they weren't even pancakes (laughs) they were really bad but my bosses let me write the article anyway and when I wrote it I made the headline like we tried making Japanese souffle pancakes and it was really hard. And my boss changed my headline to our novice cook tried cooking Japanese souffle pancakes and it was a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that it was, it was really funny and I honestly don't mind being portrayed as a terrible cook. I think it's really funny. Um, So that was my favorite article at people.
0: That's awesome. And also,
1: your boss definitely put you on blast. <laughs> I know, but he's super funny and respected me in that sense that he thought it was a funny perspective to have as a food yes. writer. So, yeah. Okay.
0: So now let's turn over to the audience q and I have a few questions and they're all very thoughtful. So get ready. The first question is from Romy. How do you combine your social influence with your pro-Israel work? Can you speak more about the ways in which you share your strong views on a platform with an audience that is strictly following for food content?
1: Okay, well, honestly, it was recently that I did this, but I put into my bio that I'm a proud Jewish foodie because I kind of hated that people would go onto my profile and wouldn't know that from me about me from the start. And I wanted to project that to my followers, especially because sometimes people would follow me And they would be involved in, you know, the pro-Israel or Jewish scene. And they wouldn't know that about me until I had posted something. And I want them to know from the start because it's an important part of my identity. So I added that to my bio. And I try to post as much as I can about Israeli restaurants or um, Israeli chefs. And I love to recreate their recipes now that I'm cooking in quarantine. (laughs) Um, So... I definitely have a soft spot for those people and I work harder I would say to help their restaurants out than you know some that I wouldn't know so if an Israeli restaurant that I've never heard of reached out to me I'd make way more of an effort to go there and promote their food than I might with something else. you have a fan fave? Yes um, I don't want to choose between them. So 19 Cleveland, which is in Soho and 12 chairs, which is in like the West village area. It's a classic 12 chairs. Oh, and he's known. I can't forget. He's known. <laughs> I love it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then the next question comes from Nora. Um, I don't know what the first word is, but for partnerships from brands, how did the contracts work? If so, um, how do you make an
1: agreement to advertise their brands or recipes?
2: Yeah.
1: So I've never pitched myself to a brand before. I know people who do, but, um, for me, normally brands will email me. Um, so for example, I'm working, I don't actually know if I can talk about that. (laughs) Um, I've worked with Dunkin' Donuts before, for example, and they emailed me through a PR firm that, deals with a lot of larger clients. So usually these big brands have multiple PR companies Mm -hmm. and depending on the campaign that they're trying to promote, they'll reach out to a certain one. So I'm on the list for a lot of these, um, large PR companies. And sometimes they'll pitch a campaign to me and I have to apply to the campaign, um, and talk about why I'm good, or I have to submit Um, my analytics for my account. So I have to show, for example, how many impressions I get a month. And once I've been accepted to a campaign, they'll send over the contract or they'll send over a non-disclosure agreement depending on the campaign. And the contracts are definitely intimidating. And I don't know a lot of the jargon, but I do all of it by myself. Um, And Sometimes I get you know advice from my parents or my friends, but for the most part, I've been dealing with it myself. How do you get on those lists? How do you get your foot in the door? Um, it's definitely taken a long time for, especially a lot of the big ones. I think, especially when I got to a hundred thousand followers, I was taken a lot more seriously and I noticed as soon as I hit that milestone that there were larger brands reaching out to me and willing to pay me way more than beforehand so it was just a matter of putting myself out there and getting my content out and proving that the content I create is valuable and unique and really good and so a lot of these brands and PR firms recognize that and they keep me on their lists.
0: Okay, so then the next question, and I really like this question, is from Ariana. Where do you think the future of food social media is going?
1: Is it something that you want to continue? I think that, okay, this is a question I think about all the time, because I think Instagram, unless they figure something out, I really think it's dying, because so many people hate Instagram because of the algorithm. And especially creators, I know so many food Instagrammers who just hate it. And some of them have just stopped going on Instagram because of it. Um, I think that maybe it'll always be a part of it, but it need, we need to be adaptable as food bloggers. So before I got my job at People, my parents were telling me they wanted me to work on my blog full time. And I kept saying to them, I don't think that's a good idea because we don't even know how long Instagram is going to be here. And I want to establish myself as having other skills before, in case Instagram goes obsolete. And that was the only thing I have. So I definitely think that the people who make Instagram their full-time careers, I don't know how they're doing it. (laughs) I know that there are people who are super good at it and some who have agents that are helping them, but... For me, I just, I'm way too scared to invest in it because I think Instagram's dying. And I think TikTok is a really great new alternative to Instagram, but I don't
2: know how long TikTok's going to be around. So and we need to be cognizant of that. Yes. Okay, well,
1: first of all, Italy, even though I've done it before, but I went to Italy before I really cared about my food Instagram. So I think that it would be a totally different experience if I went back now. Um, And that's kind of honestly where I started caring about it, because the food there was so delicious and beautiful. (laughs) Um, But also... I went to Paris for only a few days and I loved it. So I want to go back there and go all over, take way more photos and um, also Thailand. But I'm super picky and I don't think that American Thai food is the same as Thailand Thai food. So I'm not sure if I'd actually like it, but I definitely want to go there and try it. As someone that went to Thailand, I will say
0: it is not the same (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And I just want to call out that Morgan has this one TikTok where she sings in French and it's hilarious. I think it's one of your first TikToks and I laughed for like 10 minutes. So if you haven't seen that TikTok, go check it out. So then the last question comes from Nick from St. Petersburg. Yes, he wrote all the way from St. Petersburg, which is amazing. His message says, speaking more about Israel, smiley face, Do you think food can build bridges with cultures that are on opposite ends? For example, Israelis and Palestinians. There are famous Israeli-Palestinian restaurants in Berlin and a bar in Yaffa.
1: It's easy to fight about it and, you know, say people or say Israelis or Jews are appropriating different cuisines. But in the end, food brings people together and I think more so than it pulls people apart. And there are a lot of shows, for example, in Israel now that talk about this. There's one that's coming out or already came out called Abe, where a Palestinian and Israeli bond over food. And especially since that's being broadcast to such a large audience, I think that too will also influence how people view each other and how they view food. So I think it's, it can be a real stepping stone to peace. Okay. With that, I want to wrap
0: up and I want to thank everyone for joining. And most importantly, Morgan, please follow Morgan on too much food. That is two with three O's and food with three O's. And
2: I can't wait to see everyone next week. Okay, with that, I want to wrap up and I want to thank everybody for joining. Most important. Thank you. So sweet. Wait, can you smile for a photo? I'm gonna take one. (laughs) Yay!